We worship the holy God who sent His Son. The amazing, glorious good news is that we who were lost can be made right and whole, washed clean and forgiven, the guarantee of everlasting life because of Jesus. That's what we remember right now. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread, just as we are doing right now. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. This morning, Bethel, with an attitude of remembrance and as an expression of our worship, Eat with thanksgiving. The scripture continues. In the same way, he also took the cup, just as we are doing. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Oh, how sweet it is that Jesus laid His life down for you and I. Let us drink with thanksgiving. Gracious God, holy God, we love You and we worship You today. What a privilege it is to worship You today. We thank You, God, for sending Your Son, for showing us what love is. Jesus, thank You for willingly laying down Your life in our place. Holy Spirit, we praise You and thank You for applying all that Jesus has done to our lives and for making Your home in us. Thank You. In the mighty name of our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Go ahead and grab your Bibles out and uh, flip to, we'll get there in just a minute, and uh, we'll maybe get the, the lights up a little bit there, Georgia, if we can, so everybody can see where they're flipping. We're going to Acts chapter 3 here this morning in just a minute. In 1921, with just $700, two young men literally flipped the world upside down. They they changed the world as we know it, and they impacted every single one of our lives in this room, okay? Their, Their names were Edgar Ingram and Walter Anderson. Now, just anybody know who Edward Ingram and Walter Anderson are? Anybody know, recognize those names? Those two young men opened in Wichita, Kansas in 1921, a hamburger joint called White Castle. And in so doing, they launched what we now fondly call, they changed the world as we know it. I'm not saying necessarily for better or worse, okay? But they began what we now call the fast food revolution. 
Now, just let's, let's have a little bit of fun here, okay? I want everyone to stand up. Everybody stand up for a quick second, okay? We're gonna do a little survey. Stand up off your seat, stand up everybody. Don't be shy. I'm not gonna single, well, maybe, maybe I will, okay? Um, if you have eaten in a fast food restaurant, I want you to sit down. Whether it's a burger joint, a subway place, a pizza place, sit down if you have eaten any time in some form of a fast food restaurant. Are you being honest? Never? Okay, those two guys changed everyone's life except for John. <laughs> yeah. So, whether you talk about, so, so White Castle then moved over the years into McDonald's and then into, you know, KFC and Wendy's and Burger King and on and on down the line. And, and I, I came across this statistic. This was mind-blowing to me. Do you know that McDonald's has apparently sold over 300 billion, with a B, hamburgers? Do you know that? There's only 7 billion people in the world. And they have sold it. That's just McDonald's. This is, this is revolutionized. Like it's taken over everywhere and impacted everyone. Because, because there's something about, you know, the quick fix of a quick meal that we love, right? Or that we find ourselves prone to. But it's not just meals that we, we enjoy quick fixes for, right? There's all kinds of things that have come about in recent years that, that we love to try and chase after a quick fix. I mean, who doesn't love a quick fix on your oil change on your car where you can sit there and they can get it done and you drive right out and your car is all better, right? Who, who, doesn't, who doesn't long for a quick fix when it comes to your budget and your finances, right? If, if only that one little card could fix all of my problems, right? We long for quick fixes in relationships, problems, tensions, struggles. If, if only, you know, lightning bolt could strike. And I mean, it even comes into our faith. How we, we long for a quick fix. A quick fix in terms of an answer to prayer. God, would you just in this moment instantaneously move to answer right now? Who, doesn't, who hasn't thought that one before? We, we, we would love a quick fix when it comes to the struggles in terms of living for Jesus. Would you just take away those thoughts and just let them be gone forever so I never have to deal with that struggle again? Or, or can I just get one verse right away to get me through for the rest of the week? Oh, give me a quick fix. Now, I, I started with pointing at those two guys in White Castle and McDonald's, but but I, I don't think it's actually fair to put all the blame on those two young men or on the fast food revolution because I actually think that craving for a quick fix is almost woven into our DNA as people. It, it surely did not just start 100 years ago with the first burger joint, right? And, and in fact, the scripture passage that we're going to be in today in Acts chapter 3 even going all the way back almost 2,000 years ago in this scene that we're walking into, it all centers around a group of people who were craving a quick fix. They, they see this incredible work of God right before them. 
and, and they think, their minds go to, oh, have we just discovered the quick fix that will solve all of our problems? And they get so excited and worked up. But what we're going to see, what we're going to see in this scene as we walk into it and come out of God's word for each one of us is that, that we need to be careful because so often quick fixes can actually be really misleading. And God has something so much better for us than just chasing after the next quick fix. So, if you haven't already, again, grab your Bible out so you can follow along, see right out of God's Word. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there is one close by. You can reach it. If you just lean over in one of the chairs that's in front of you there, go to Acts chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 3, and we're beginning in verse 1 says this, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Peter and John, that's two of the key kind of center point apostles, are doing what we saw just in last week's message, right? In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we saw that they were devoted to a number of things, including one of them was to gathering together to pray. They're, they're doing what we just read last week they are doing. They are coming together for a prayer time at the temple. And it says in verse 2, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. If you were a beggar sitting outside, the temple was a pretty good spot to sit because as people were coming to worship, one of the things that these people are supposed to do anyway is to be on the lookout for those who are poor and needy and to be blessing them. And so this guy is sitting in what would seem to be a pretty convenient spot to go if you are begging for money. We see in verse 3, when Peter and John... We're about to enter. This man asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He, he was asking for money, but seemingly, I don't know, he has like his head down. He, he, he's asking, but he's kind of just sitting there cowering. I, I don't know if he was intimidated or shy or sheepish or embarrassed or what it was. But, but Peter and John hear him ask for money. They walk by. They stop in front of him. He's still got his head down. And so they're like, look, look at us. And seemingly this guy starts to get excited because he's like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, like five or ten bucks. They're going to give me some money. And so he, he peeks up. He, he looks up. He looks at them in the eyes. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk and then he went with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. This guy who if you, if you flip your page on your Bible and you go to chapter 4 verse 22, you see he's 40 years old. 
He's 40 years old. We read in verse 2, he's been crippled from birth. His entire life, he has not been able to walk. Peter looks at him in the eye. John, look at him in the eye. And they say, we don't have any money for you. But right now, in the name of Jesus, I invite you to put your faith in him. Stand up and walk. And instantly, he jumps to his feet. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you right now, grab a pen, grab a pencil, and I want you to circle that word instantly in your Bibles. If you are grabbing a Bible from the seat back in front of you, I give you permission to write in that Bible, okay? Circle that word instantly, because that is mind-blowing. It does not say he went to physio for six months and slowly built up the muscles in his legs, does it? It does not say, oh, he found some some really miraculous new clinical trial and took some incredible new medication. He found a world-class surgeon who was able to do. No, by faith, walk, and instantly, beyond any comprehension of what is possible, muscles all of a sudden formed, and he was able to walk and dance. No fumbling or stumbling or no, you know, he's never walked in his life and instantly he starts to walk. Now at this moment, I know there are some in this room who your kind of skeptic meter just is like peaking up pretty high. You're like, come on. Give give me a break. Really? You got to be joking me. Like that, that can't really happen. There's no way that actually went down. Now, I want to remind you, if you were with us or if you weren't, all the way back to the very first message we did as we started into this series in the book of Acts, we said this. The book of Acts is a history of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst God's people. This is, this is history. This is, this is real people, real events. This really went down. This actually happened. Some of you are like, yeah, give me a break, give me a break. There's no way. Like, it's got to be from, you know, some kind of made up, blah, 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 blah. Can I tell you a story, personal experience story? When I was in university, I was in my first year of university, and a good friend of mine, her name was Kat. She broke her arm and dislocated her shoulder. See, we went to McMaster, and at Mac, we had this fun activity in the winter times that we called tray bargaining. Okay? We took cafeteria trays and used them as toboggans to slide down this one particular hill. And so we went tray bargaining there, and my good friend Kat didn't get the hint that you're supposed to stop before the trees. And let's just say the trees won. Okay? And so, so Kat broke her arm, got it in a full cast, dislocated her shoulder, has it in a sling, and, and she, like, it was bad news bears for Kat, okay? A week or two after that went down, a group of us, about six or eight friends from university mostly, uh, my wife Natalie was there, we were dating at that point, but she was there with us and a, and a bunch of other students from Mac. We went to this youth retreat in Toronto, this youth rally, there was about 2,000 people there, six of us from down Hamilton Way went to this retreat. And we're there at this, this service, and this guy gets up on the stage, kind of like right now, um, and he says, I- I've been praying for this time, and I sense that God desires to heal some people. Now, like, 
my background, this is like, whoa. Like my skeptic meter is going way up. This is not like, like some of you are right now, okay? I can see your arms crossed. And um, I'm like, no way. And he says, okay, like, and he starts rhyming off some different things that he sensed the Lord had sort of stirred upon his heart. And, and I don't remember them all. One of them I do remember was like someone had had a motorcycle accident and yada, yada, yada. And then he says, and there's a university age girl here who has something wrong with her arm. She can't lift it above her head. And this, the six or eight of us are there. And my friend, Kat, is in a cast with a sling. And all of our eyes just go... Right on Cat. And Cat's eyes go right to me. <laughs> and she's like, What do I do? And I'm like, I don't know. How much do you believe, Cat? And then she says, I'll go up if you come with me. Okay, so what do you do in that moment? What do you say in that moment? Uh, okay, okay. So we, we walk up to the front of the stage and Katz goes over to the side and this guy's praying for a few of the people that he'd already sort of mentioned and were lined up and then Kat comes out on the stage and he puts his hand on her shoulder and he prays for her in front of 2,000 people and I'm off to the side just standing right here and then he finishes praying, says amen and then says, how does it feel? And she says, it kind of feels warm. He says, well, can you move it? She's like, yeah, I think so. And she like undoes her sling and then like lifts her arm up like this. And then all these teenagers at this retreat just start cheering and she walks off. And I'm standing over there like, what is going on? And Kat walks up to me and puts the sling in my hand. And I'm like, what are you doing, Kat? And she's like, God just healed me. And I'm just like dumbfounded at this moment. We walk back to our seats. We get back to the, she lived in Toronto, just around the corner from where this was. We get back to her house and she cuts off her cast. Her mom walks in and finds her cutting off her cast and is like, what are you doing, Kat? And she's like, God just healed me, mom. It's fine. And that very next week, she went into the doctor and the doctor does an x-ray of Kat's arm and shoulder. And he stands there in the doctor's office with an x-ray from like two weeks earlier, broken arm, dislocated shoulder, totally healed arm, totally healed shoulder, and is just like, uh, 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 I think there must have been a problem with the x-ray machine. That's literally what he said to my friend Kat. No, there was not a problem with the x-ray machine. God can heal instantly. He can. Absolutely. The same God who is alive and can make a man who has never walked for his entire life walk instantly did the same thing. And I, I, I saw it with my own two eyes. No making it up not a word of exaggeration. I could give you the name of Kat and you can call her on the phone. My wife was there. You can talk to Natalie. I am not stretching anything in the truth. Now, here's the thing though, okay? God can do these things. God still does do these things. But when God moves in these sort of ways, do you know what starts to happen in the hearts of people? We get all really excited and start to think, man, here's the quick fix. 
Don't, don't we? Like, how many, as you heard me share that story, are like, okay, if that really happened, like, I, give me some of that too, cat. Come on. Give, give me, can I, can I have an instantaneous answer like that in my life too? And what starts to happen when we see the Lord move like that is we get focused upon the quick fix and we miss the more important reality going on. That's exactly what happens here in our text. Look with me at our next passage. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking around and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the beggar held, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Everyone, and I mean like everyone, is like, right? How did this happen? We've walked into this place for years, for decades, and we've seen this guy sitting at the same place for his entire life. He hasn't been able to walk, and now we recognize him. We know this guy. He's, he's walking and talking and dancing and praising, and he's right in front of us, and, and their minds rush to Peter and John and think, we've just found the fix for all of our problems. It's these two guys. We've just found the quick fix we're looking for. Now, what were these people here almost 2,000 years ago looking for? Well, we need to remember this is a group of Jews living in Jerusalem and around 2,000 years ago, which means they were Jewish men and women under the rule of Rome, okay? Now, the Jews and the Romans had a sort of like love-hate relationship. The, the Jews, they, they sort of like gritted their teeth living under the Romans. They, they kind of found some ways to try to make do under the, the kingship of Caesar. But make no mistake, they despised it underneath. Because they wanted to be free. They wanted to be their own people. They wanted to have their own king. They looked to the Old Testament and read these passages of a coming Messiah, a coming rescuer, a Christ who would come, who was going to be the king in the line of David, who would set them free from the tyranny of the Romans, who would give them all that they really need. And they longed and yearned and, and dreamed about this day and and. Surely in their minds at this moment, as Peter and John walk in and do these incredible signs and wonders and make an utterly impossible thing happen right in front of them, what is going through their heads at this moment is maybe the thing we've been dreaming about the quick fix in an instant, the king has arrived and maybe it is these two guys. That's why they come running. That's why they flock around them. That's what's going through their head. Their Savior is how, because how else do you explain this? Surely this has to be the hand of God upon them, and you are our Savior. 
But Peter is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he says to the men of Israel, why do you surprise us? Why, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? You guys are rushing up to us and ready to throw us on your shoulders and anoint us your king. Whoa, slow down. But this is what happens when we see what we perceive to be a quick fix, isn't it? This is what happens for them, and this is what happens for every single one of us too. We dream of these problems in our lives getting solved, and if only, and we start to get even a little hint of Something or someone who's going to do it, how quickly we just exalt them up and put our everything behind them. I mean, we, we have all kinds of struggles. We have health struggles, right? Our, our bodies don't work the way we want them to work. And so we chase after something, someone, somewhere who is going to finally fix it. And if we could but find that small s Savior to fix whatever is ailing in my body, oh, what I would give to find that person. We, we have money struggles. We, we find ourselves up to our noses or our ears or above our ears with all the rising costs of life. We all get that right now. And our cards are maxed to the limit. And we're like, if only I could find that solution, the banker who would allow me to refinance to get, the, the ticket that would finally pay it all off, the, the quick fix job that would give me the raise to finally be out of, if only, and we try with all of our might to chase after we find ourselves in the midst of just overwhelming anxiety. The cloud of despair. Oh, how I want these thoughts to lift. If only, if only I could find this, go here, do this, check this box so it could just finally be gone. Oh, and we chase after. With all of our might trying to find the quick fix. See, but quick fixes... They so easily mislead us. The quick fixes so easily take our attention in the wrong direction. See, what if, what if chasing that quick fix is actually going to send you after a Savior who will never deliver? What if that quick fix is going to give you the little itch for the moment but leave you worse off than when you started. See, that's what Peter knows is going on here. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do not look at us. And I know you see this guy dancing here, or I know you hear the cat story, and you think, if God could just move in a moment, oh, that would solve all of my problems. That would make everything better. My life would be whole if but in an instant... God would move like that. And we actually start to think the quick fix is really what we need. Amen. But it's not. The quick fix is not what we need. 
And that's where Peter points our attention. Peter is like, stop. Stop! I am not the Savior you desperately need. And what you need is not just instantaneous healing, just like this guy just got. He says in verse 13, The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant, Jesus. See, the one whom you need isn't us. It's Jesus. What you need right now, dear friend, is not the quick fix of another cat moment. What you need is Jesus. You, you, Peter says to them, you handed Jesus over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Peter doesn't hold back at all. He goes right after their hearts. He looks them in the eye right again, just like that sermon at Pentecost. And he says, this is the one whom you needed, but you killed. The one who really is your Savior, but you disowned him. The one who is the holy and righteous one, but you turned your back on him and handed him over. And as you read that, I don't want you to read that as though here Peter is trying to lay into them with bitterness or angst. That's not where this is coming from. That's not how to read what Peter is saying here, I think. I think how you need to understand this is Peter is pleading with them, oh, how you have chased after the wrong direction the wrong quick fix, and I'm pleading with you to see the error of your ways. I'm, I'm pleading with you to see how, how awry you have gone, but where you need to turn. You have abandoned and killed the one that you actually need. That's what the 40-year-old man who couldn't walk for his whole life but was instantly healed is supposed to point you towards. That's what the story of Cat is supposed to do in your heart. Not just, oh, I want an instantaneous quick fix like that. No, I need to look to Jesus. Maybe, now, in all of this, if you think I'm saying all of this because I, I'm trying to insinuate and like lower your bar of what God can instantaneously do. That's not my point at all. I'm actually very intentionally telling you that story of Cat to point out God can and still does these things. And so maybe God would do that in your life. But even if he did that, that's not the ultimate solution you need for your life. What you need, what I need, what this 40-year-old guy needed was Jesus. By faith, verse 16 says, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given complete healing to him as you can all see. Peter knows they all just want a quick fix, but they don't want to follow the fixer. Yeah. 
They want saving, but they won't give their lives to the Savior. Oh, how true that is for us so often too, isn't it, friends? Oh, how I want healing, but I am unwilling to release my everything into the hands of the healer. The problem with the things that we turn to for our fix is that whether, whether we realize this or not, when we chase after anything other than Jesus for our quick fixes, what it does is it actually turns us against Jesus. Whether you realize this or not, here's what happens in your heart. When we make these other people or other things our pursuit to save us, to solve the problems in our lives, what we are saying is, forget you, Jesus. I don't trust you, Jesus. I don't really love you the most, Jesus. I don't believe you, Jesus. I think I know better than you do, Jesus. That's what we're saying. Now, maybe you're like, I don't really think I'm saying that. Maybe you've never realized that's what you're saying. You know, our sinful hearts are very sneaky and deceptive. And our enemy, he is wily and he is a liar who is bent on trying to deceive and trick us into thinking, oh, there's not that big of a problem going on in my heart. But that's what happens in every single one of us. I mean, that, that's what happens here. That's what Peter says, right? Look what he says next. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, verse 17, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that the Christ would suffer. Your ignorance, okay? If you want to call it that, well, it was still part of God's plan. But, can't play ignorant anymore. Repent. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ whom has been appointed for you, even Jesus. If you didn't know what you're doing, okay, well, now you can't say that anymore because now you know. Now you know the one you really need is Jesus. The only one who will actually solve all the voids in our lives is Jesus. The only solution for our souls in eternity is Christ. So repent and turn to Him. Stop going the way you're going in rebellion against him with your back towards him and turn and run into Jesus' arms. And now Peter is going to explain to them and to all of us how real and lasting and true and soul-satisfying hope is found. It's not in the quick fix. He continues in verse 21. He, that's Jesus, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And your heirs of the prophets, your heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made from your fathers, he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Jesus is the one whom God has pointed to all the way through. You go to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Samuel and all of the prophets, all of them are pointing ahead to Jesus, saying he is the one who is going to bring about the solution for all of you. And what is that solution? It's verse 21. Let me just read verse 21 again. This is the hinge verse of this entire text. In fact, next week we're going to hear bunch of rulers get really angry and arrest Peter and John for this whole scene. It all goes back to this verse, okay? It all goes back to verse 21. This is the hinge of this whole story that we're going to see in chapter 3 and 4. The man getting healed, the 40-year-old guy, and then the discussion amongst all of the people that are gathered in this crowd is all pointing to this. The arrest that's going to happen is because they're all worked up about what they said in this line right here, and all of it is to lift up this point. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. There is coming a day when God is going to restore all things when Jesus comes back. That's the solution. The return of Christ. The solution to every problem in our world and every problem globally and right down to the very person in this room and our heart of hearts. The solution is this, the return of Jesus when he will come to restore all things. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to return to earth. And on that day, he is going to judge everyone. He is going to line all of us up and all of the sins and all of the evil and all of the wickedness and all of the wrong that has ever been done outwardly in graphic and horrible ways and inwardly in our own thought life is going to be exposed before his throne and he is going to hold all of us to account he is going to deal with every wrong that has been done. He is going to punish every wicked thing that has happened. And he is going to offer up himself as the atonement and the sacrifice for all who've put their faith in him. Oh, she's with me. What I did on the cross was for her, was for him. It's already been dealt with, it's already been punished. It's already been addressed. And when he has done all of that, then he will make all things new. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. He will give us new resurrected bodies. He will make this so mind-blowingly glorious and wonderful, all sin, all death, all pain, all suffering, gone, an everlasting life, totally unhindered, 
and delight with Jesus. The solution you need, the solution this 40-year-old paralyzed man was to point to, the solution that all of us desperately long for is the return of Jesus to make all things new. That's where our attention needs to go. So let me ask this final question for us here today. If that's where our attention is to go, what are we to do? What's our response? What's your response and my response right here today? I want to give you two things that we are to do in response to God's word today, friends. Here's the first one. The first one is with hope and faith we are called to wait. We're called to wait. Oh, how hard that can be. Anybody else in here struggle with patience? Am I the only one? But one of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and one of the things the Spirit of God does in the people of God is He gives us patience. One of the calls that we have centrally as believers of Jesus Christ is we wait We wait not with doubts, not with wrestlings and wonderings of whether it's really going to happen. No, Jesus was raised from the dead, so we know he's going to come back. But we find ourselves right now in the waiting. We find ourselves in the midst of the health hardships and the financial hardships and the relational hardships and the mental health hardships. We find ourselves in the midst of work hardships and kids' hardships and family hardships and on and on you could go, right? There's all kinds of challenges we face. And sometimes, yes, God gives the moment where instantly he heals, like this guy or like Kat. But most of the time, we wait. We wait not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. We wait not out of fear that it's not really going to happen. We have assurance, but we wait. Here's the second thing we're called to do. So, if in the midst of this desire to chase after the quick fixes for the problems we all have, we are told, first of all, look to Jesus' coming return and wait. Second, be ready. Be ready. See, here's the thing. When's Jesus coming back? Anybody know? One person gave a really good answer to that soon. That's a good answer. That's a real that that's the that's the depth of which we know, though. Soon. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. So, so here's how we are called to live and to wait. Not distracted by all the things of this world. Do you want to get caught red-handed in the midst of fill-in-the-blank when Jesus shows up? I sure don't. How that should sober us in the ways we live our day. Literally, Jesus could come back at any point. I don't want Jesus to walk into the room when I'm doing 
when I'm saying, when I'm with? Are you ready? Now, maybe you're like, okay, this is not like, you know, crazy, wrong, concerning thing. Okay, but what if you're just distracted? How easy it is to be distracted in this world. How easy it is to chase after all the things that are going to be for here. And Jesus shows up and he's like, wow, Alan, you got a huge bank account, man. That's fantastic. Except guess what? You don't get to bring any of it with you. Man, you got a whole lot of letters behind your name. Oh, but that resume doesn't come into heaven. Oh, you put all of your energy into the home that you are now going to leave and it will be burned for all of eternity. So are you ready? Are you and I living like we are ready for the return of Christ? That's what this text calls us to. Not to chase quick fixes. As if if I only had In an instant, then everything would be better. No, this text propels us to look forward. By faith waiting for the restoration of all things that Christ is going to bring about and being ready for that day because it's coming soon and perhaps sooner than you would ever guess. Let's pray. Gracious, wonderful, loving, heavenly Father, What sweet news this text, this story brings. God, you're so patient with us. You're so patient with us because we are just like that crowd. Oh, how easily we are prone to to see little glimmers of what seems to be the solution we think we need and we chase with our everything after them. We put all of our time and our energy and our money and our everything, our minds, our thoughts, all of it on these things. And oh, forgive us because as we do that, how often, sometimes we outright know it and sometimes maybe we don't even realize we're turning our backs upon you. Be merciful to us, God. In this day, even right now, oh God, I pray, would you pour out your mercy? We desperately need it. We desperately need it to be drawn back to Christ today. Oh, how sweet it is to hear the words from your servant Peter pointing us ahead to the restoration of all things, the true solution, the coming solution that we know is coming without a shadow of a doubt because you proved you are victorious when you raised your son from the dead. We look forward to the return of Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You are our hope that we look ahead to, we long for, we live for. You are the only hope that we have. And so, oh God, would you help us to walk by faith, hope-filled faith, waiting, and to live our days not knowing if this could be the very moment you return. Ready. Give us the grace to do this. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing this final song.